Hello. My name is Andrew Pontius. And I'm all French. And you're listening to Edge Cases, a podcast about mostly Apple-centric software development and cats. Our topic today is, Wolf, what's our topic today? Uh, the, Ma- the Mac App Store versus Buying Direct. Great. So, great. So we'll be getting to that in a minute. But first, I have a few things to talk about. Um, to start off with, I'd like to mention that um, there's a word that my co-host invented that has been name-checked by none other than the President of the United States. Uh, did, did you hear about this, Wolf? I did hear about this, yes. <laughs> yes. So um, in a story in uh, Politico.com, uh, the president uh, is said to have said, is shown to have said, I am the Twoosh master. And uh, so the word is Twoosh. And Wolf, what, what's the definition of this word? Well, I would have to you know, actually look up the Google my own tweet there to get the exact <laughs> thing because I don't want to put words in my own mouth. But um, it, it is uh, a, a tweet that is exactly 140 characters, nothing but net. Right, and I believe uh, later on when when you discussed it on Twitter, uh, you stipulated that you know it pretty much had to be something that you came up with naturally, like you couldn't edit it to be exactly that. That right. it really needed to be something that came right out of your mouth. Yeah, I mean, and, it, it definitely gets a little bit more tricky now that we have the um, the taco URLs, the t.co ones. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as the entire idea is that this flows out naturally. You don't want to have to spend an hour in your tweet, you know, trying different word combinations to kind of brute force your way into a twish. So now I have listened. Actually, the, the story is uh, references a video, and I did watch the video. And sadly, the president did not actually know what a twish was immediately. He had to be it had to be explained to him what it was. But he did actually make a touche by himself, so that's why he said he was a touche master. Oh, you see, I would I would question his reasoning there that he had to be told what a touche is, and then he claims masterhood. <laughs> that's true. Um, he was well beginner's luck. I don't know. I guess maybe that's not a master anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. but if you can do it, you can do it. I mean, you know, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, and of course, also, you know, just president of the United States. Anyway, moving on. Um, few other tweets that I wanted to reference as well. Um, a couple of people that I follow, people in the Mac and iOS community, have mentioned that it has been six years since the very first uh, installment, uh, conference instance of the conference C4, mm-hmm. which Wolf uh, created and managed for, what was it, three years? Yeah, and I think, uh, uh, three, I think there was four years. Four but, years? Okay. But I tend to lose track of these things. Right. Well, and so we're not going to go into any details about that this time around, but I did want to mention, and they'll also be in the show notes, it was interesting to me that people stressed what an effect it had on their overall lives to do that. Instead of it just being, you know, hey, another conference, it was a place which really made a big impact on people in terms of the people they knew and the direction uh, that they were going in. So, uh, so I just thought that was neat. Yeah, I think the timing was right for C4. You know, it, it was uh, Mac Hack was kind of on the decline there, and there was right. and there was obviously a lot of demand there. And I, I felt it like I have um, a kind of a good history of like choosing good like leverage points to try and do little projects where I can expend a certain amount of effort and have like um, greater uh, output than you would expect in normal times or in a d- different time. And uh, mm-hmm. like for example, like uh, the mock override, mock eject stuff. That was a, totally an example of a project that 
it took me a good amount of effort to do it, but not that much. And it was just, just you know, a kind of a hit at a, at a it's um, hit at a good point where people could t- really take advantage of it. And uh-huh. the same thing with C4 is that it's uh, it was definitely needed. And of course now, of course, field is rich with all these different conferences. So uh-huh. yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty great thing. Yes. So uh, and then moving on to follow up. Um, let's see. Uh, there is a post by Aaron Vay called Coda 2, the iPad and the Future of Computing, where he talks about the trend towards bringing apps to the iPad. And I thought it was interesting that he did mention Xcode for iPad, and he was uh, more in your camp, Wolf, where he said, yeah, of course, Xcode for iPad is a, a no-brainer. Of course, they're going to bring it out. I just thought that was, it was interesting uh, to have someone else uh, going down the same path in terms of in terms of that line of thinking. Well, obviously, you listen to the podcast and just echoing what, <laughs> right. what you heard here. Yes, and of course, you know, the due to various issues, our podcast is not quite out yet. Um, so, so right, uh, his mention seems to come first, but in actuality, uh, we got there first. We're just not not to market yet. Wait, wait, wait were, we, so, were we first to file on that or no? <laughs> no, no. We well, we, uh, only if you consider filing to be something that you do. In your own head. Oh, I do. <laughs> so there you go. I file every day. Uh, and then, let's see, another one was a post called Build So Good. And uh, I thought I might have the... Oh, that's that's mine, actually. Oh, hold on. Let me go back to my notes here. <laughs> oh. Great post, your own post. Hold on. Okay, going up one. <laughs> There's a, uh, a post called Holy C. I don't want to use the... The, the curse in our podcast or for iTunes sake, but I'm programming on my iPad, a web developer's look at Diet Coda oh. by Joseph Schmidt. And I also thought that was interesting because he goes into a lot more details about what he likes and doesn't like about Diet Coda. And there's a long list of things that he doesn't like, um, but he is, he is looking at it as, you know, a full replacement for Coda. And of course it comes up a little, a little short uh, just yet. Uh, but he, it was interesting again to seeing that, uh, that kind of mindset applied to these apps that we were talking about last week. Um, so, oh, and then, okay, so then there's my post called Build So Good, uh, which we'll also have a link in the show notes, where I said last week that I had one more post in me uh, talking about positive things about Xcode 4, mm-hmm. and that's it. So okay. there you go. And then the last um, bit of follow-up is actually, I do have a link to, to your post um, about uh, the Mac App Store versus Buying Direct, but I don't need to talk about it because we're going to, talk about it for the rest of the episode mm-hmm. so so that's it that's a follow-up okay yeah so the um <clears throat> i just sat down and wrote out this banged out this little thought i was had because uh we had sandboxing day which was the first day that i'm sure we'll celebrate this every year was the first day that uh all mac newly submitted mac apps uh, that going to the mac app store will need to be sandboxed and yes with, with bonfires and things like that right <laughs> right right yes. And um, and so I just, I've been having this thought uh, in my mind for a while, and I figured it was a good time to write it up. So I just kind of sat down, banged it out, and I totally didn't expect that it would take off as as well as it did, which is typical for my more popular blog posts. But that I have no idea which ones would be popular. I think the last one that really caught people's uh, attention was how to use UTF-8 throughout your web stack, and I totally again caught unsurprised. I still have like follow ups that I need to integrate into that article. And it's one of these things I just kind of spit out, figuring that no one would care. And sure enough, people actually care. So. But anyway, um, so there's, but so the 
basically the thing with a Mac App Store is that, uh, only doing sandbox apps, is that now there are two classes of apps, two classes of Mac apps. There's a sandbox and there's a non-sandboxed. And, um, and, uh, sandbox apps are limited in what they can do and by design. And so I'll just quickly run through the list here and maybe we can talk a little bit about each one here. Um, so the first, my, my, my entire thrust of this article is that due to the limitations of sandboxing, that before it was very up in the air, that if you could buy an app directly or if you could buy it through the Mac App Store, you, uh, prior to the, the sandboxing requirement, it was pretty fuzzy which one you should go with. There's basically, a, I could make that argument either way. And pretty much all the developers thought that that way as well, that they could, that, you know, customer, whatever you want to do, let's go do it. I'm happy to, to be, that you're my, that you'll be my customer. But now with the sandboxing requirement in place, um, <clears throat> sandbox apps are, uh, are not, you know, in many ways, not really full class citizens anymore, but in other ways, actually better than non-sandbox apps. And so, uh, what I mean by that is that, um, non-sandbox apps can do things that, and I really wish I had a better term than non-sandboxed apps. Um, initially, like when I was writing the blog post, I was thinking of calling them like free apps, but that was, of course, very confusing. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I was thinking um, uh, liberty apps, but that sounds really political. <laughs> Maybe you know, freedom apps, <laughs> like fries, like, right? Like like beach apps, you know, as opposed to a sandbox, you know. Oh, beach. Something apps. with the sand all, you know. Totally confusing as well, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's no good term here, so I think I'll just muddle on with non-sandboxed. But uh, so the thing is that sandboxing obviously puts a limit on things you can do. Unfortunately, it's a bunch of things that Mac applications typically this uh, kind of take for granted, which is um, like when you open up a open save panel, you can no longer na- auto navigate. You know, put, kind of set the default directory to where they think the user should go. Because that's you know go you go going to the power box and I don't think it doesn't even allow that or maybe if it does then you get not allowed. I haven't coded myself yet, so I don't don't know. What well, just like. yeah. What, what, I mean, what my understanding is, um, you are you are only allowed in a particular area that the app has within its own files, unless the user specifically asks you to do more. So you choose a file, for example, and then you can get to that file right. through the UI. So if the user hasn't gone through the UI to that file, or it may be that directory, it's true, I don't know either, then you can't get to it. So you can't say, well, we think you should go to this location. If, the user, if it's outside of your sandbox, the user hasn't specified it already. Right, right. And it's actually really educational if you go inside on, um, I guess, a ten, a sandboxing. I don't know if it exists in 10.6, but definitely in 10.7. If you go inside your uh, user home directory, inside the library folder, there's a new uh, directory in there called containers, and you go in there, and then there would be like a com dot example uh, folder name in there. If you peek in there, this is basically the file system that sandbox apps see. And it's really funny because like it has its own applications folder. It has you know basically it, it kind of like echoes the structure of a, a regular Mac OS X hard drive uh, before it existed before sandboxing, and that's all your application can see. So it's a kind of a, a weird parallel universe. And yeah, so when you go through the open panel, that's the only way you can see outside of your little uh, parallel universe thing. Um, so um, one thing that actually I'm going to do a correction uh, after this podcast is that I said you can't send growl notifications. And that's technically true for the current 
uh, version of Growl that's not in the Mac App Store. And and uh, but the version in the, in the Mac App Store apparently there's they've added a thing where I mean, Growl used to use uh, mock messages. I believe specifically distributed objects for running over mock messages, and that was um, <coughs> that is one of the things that. I, I think you can like, get a temporary entitlement for it, but Apple has made it very clear they don't like this one bit. So I, be, you know, everything like that for the simplicity of the article, I assume basically assume that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, it turns out that Growl has added support in the Mac App Store version only, I believe, that they will open a, a local port, let's say on the local host, um, so that you can you can talk to Growl via sockets. So if you if you buy Growl in the Mac App Store. And it will be listening to a local socket, and then your app can actually still send Graal messages to it. So I'll be correcting that soon. And um, another example is uh, PDF services. That um, so if you like in the print panel when you go to print something, you can have this output option. I know Yojimbo installs something. I know um, uh, Voodoo Pad installs something, and I, a bunch of people, a bunch of different apps put a uh, little extensions in there to make it easy to I think even mail.app I know can you can like mail a PDF easily. I don't know if that's a PDF service or that's something that's more kind of integrated into the print panel itself. But this is a this is an easy way to get PDFs into other apps. And you still can install it, but however you ha- because you have to go through the save panel. Uh, you can't do it automatically anymore. And you have to have the, the the user has to say, hey I want to install a PDF server service and then the uh, user has to navigate, know how to navigate to the correct folder. And, of course, the application, being sandbox, can't help you out at all because it's in parallel universe land and can't see where you want to go. <laughs> well, that's not very helpful then, I don't think. <laughs> right. So basically, I think you can like, say, user, please install this in the right location, and I can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's uh, – so that's all those things to me, and those are kind of like user experience issues. But then there's a the greater issue of like the features themselves, like BBEdit. If you, if you buy BBEdit directly from Barebone Software, you can go into your Etsy folder and edit your host file. And when you hit Command-S, it's going to say, hey, this file, you actually don't have permission to, to save to it. But hey, maybe you want to give me your password now, and I'll then I can save it. If you buy it through the Mac App Store, it's crippled; it doesn't it does, uh, doesn't allow you to save it at all. Um, OmniFocus has these things where oh, so accessibility is another big API that sandboxing cuts off. So OmniFocus will uh, have this ability to like you're in the Finder, you have a file selected, and you're like, oh yeah, I should do something with this file. So you hit your little uh, Command Control K or whatever hotkey you have set up for your clippings. And we'll create a new item referencing this file. But, of course, that relies on accessibility, and so that means that can't work on the app, uh, Mac App Store anymore. Um, and then there's this other thing that's really interesting. That um, So there's – with uh, Core Data, if you have a, a, a document-based app and your native file format is SQLite, when you go to save the file, when you are writing out its changes, because it's SQLite at, at the, uh, underneath the, the hood – you write out a dash journal file right next to your file, describing all the changes it's going to make before it makes them. Problem is, guess what? Uh, when you use the open save panel to point to that file that the user allows you to open and write to, that's the only file that's been specified. So uh, you haven't specified a file right next to it called that file name dash journal. So 
sandboxing will step in, disallow that operation, and the save, I think, actually will fail. But So you have to work around that. Um, when you when you uh, use Cordata to pop open the file, you can actually specify some SQLite pragmas in the persistent server coordinator saying, hey, uh, run this uh, pragma, which basically says turn off journaling altogether or do in-memory journaling, which I haven't thought about like the ramifications of in-memory journaling, but it's... It seems to me that that basically defeats the purpose because the entire idea of journaling is that you, you know, the, the, the app launches and looks at this file and finds this other file next to it and says, oh, no, things, bad things have happened. I'm going to replay the journal. If that was right. in memory, yeah. then that journal is long gone. It's a recovery tool. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And so it's and also I, I could, I could also be like maybe a pre-flight tool that maybe if you say run out of disk space, <laughs> which is probably, I mean, your Mac OS 10 system is pretty much screwed way before then, but I could see yeah. it as being a, a run out of disk space type thing. Oh, I, or I couldn't do this file IO at all. And maybe you have some permissions issue on a network volume or something that you need to solve before, uh, before I can even try to write this. So there's a bunch of issues there and hang on my screen. Unfortunately, has this gone blank. Because I'm reading this, and I don't know why my screen is blank. Okay, here we go. I came back. Uh, obviously, the Apple hardware is frustrated that I'm t- talking trash about the Mac App Store. <laughs> I'm sure that's it. <laughs> okay, so oh, so so um, I also mentioned about how obviously if you're going if you're buying directly, then. Uh, you get to go through the Sparkle route, which Sparkle and Andy Machesek would, uh, you know, f- be the first in line to say Sparkle is is not the be all end all, but it's really good and and we have it today, and we get this ability that uh, to pretty easily update our Mac apps. It would be really awesome if it was uh, more seamless, more kind of built in, but it's um, pretty great right now for indies, and. It tends to be with the AppCast mechanism that developers can push more updates more with less latency because obviously you're not going through the App Store review process. Uh, this is kind of dampened by the fact that uh, developers will want to, if you're doing a 1.2 version of your application, uh, typically you'll submit it to the App Store, your 1.2, let them spend their days until they eventually look it over and give you a thumbs up or not. And once finally ready, then you'll release your 1.2 both in the Mac App Store and via Sparkle, so via the App Guest. So it's it's um, to the to the co- consumers, to, I'm sorry, to customers. It's uh, basically it's coming out simultaneously. But really, what's happening is that the developer is throttling down their update mechanism on the Sparkle side of things to, to make it more seamless and a, a clear messaging to the customers, which is a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it is. And I actually prefer apps that just kind of like say, okay, like I think uh, Gus has been doing this, is that you will you know, release a version at Acorn and hey, it's available right now for non-Mac, for direct purchases. But uh, you'll, you know, Mac App Store people, you might get it in another three to seven days. So I'm actually prefer that. Was that, that's not a sandboxing issue per se. That's just another Mac App Store issue, or is that well, also right? This is a, right. So this is this is a more of a Mac App Store issue, and that ex- issue existed before the sandboxing, right? Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, uh, a bigger one to me is the risk of actually losing your software investments. Um, I gave the example of Divi, which I bought, uh, that is a window manager that moves your windows around for you, and it is it uses accessibility, which is one of the verboten APIs nowadays. So guess what? It can't be updated at all. And so 
it's funny because I actually bought Divi Direct initially, and then the makers of Divi were trying to push people to the Mac App Store. They said, hey, you know, we'll use one of our promo codes to bring you over or whatever. So I took them up on that, on that opportunity. So I actually have both versions of Divi, so I can, I have a license key for the original one, so I guess I can switch back to that. So it's not a big deal. But I don't know if you also saw the, uh, the creators of Alfred just came out and said everyone who runs Alfred right now from the Mac App Store version, which I think was just pretty much the only version out there, um, you guys should all move direct now. Because guess what? They, they walk your file system to show you a little pop-up window of things you can type in to auto-match, and they, they talk to all these different services, and they basically can't be sandboxed either in order to give you the functionality you want. So <laughs> Alfred is not such a big issue because uh, I think it's been pretty much free from, from the get-go. Uh, but I know it has some power packs. I, I don't know if those were any in-app purchases or something, but the larger point here is that uh, you have these apps that are perfectly fine and can no longer be upgraded because of a policy change by Apple that they well, they did announce it when I bought the app. I didn't know that these policy effects would uh, uh, that were coming down the pike. And I suspect there'll be more policy effects. I mean, this is a sandbox, right? So they can keep on cranking out permissions or do what they want. And Apple has in kind of a – this is also one of the reasons why I kind of didn't write about this until now is because Apple punted on the data of the Mac Apps for sandboxing for, right. for mm-hmm. a number – I think it was twice. Yeah. Yes, I think it might have been twice, but it was also a, a significant number of months. That was really the thing. They didn't say, you know – you only have a month. It was like six months that basically be- before we heard anything else about when the next one was going to be. Or they set the date for later, and it wasn't just a month later. It was you know six months later, something like that. It really gave the feeling that that they might kick this can down the road for for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And and I was also I don't know about you, but I was a, very much expecting also a, some sort of policy change in terms of uh, what type of entitlements that were allowed, and maybe they wouldn't be so stringent and saying that these are very temporary and basically threatening that these be revoked as, as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give it that long, you know, you would think that that would be because they're still working on something behind the scenes, but. Doesn't seem to be. It was just more to get more people on board, something like that, or I'm, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. So the point is that uh, Apple made a policy change that basically causes people to lose their software investment, and I wasn't really ready for you know to believe that Apple would actually pull the trigger of that mechanism until Sandboxing Day arrived, and they pulled that trigger. So now I know that I can't trust. Apple with my software investments, I have very much more faith with uh, buying directly from these independent developers than I do from Apple because I know they, they, they will have a policy change that robs me of my software investments. And finally, for the other reason why I say you should buy direct is that, uh, which I've been talking about for a long time, even before the App Store, well, even the, before the lights went on in the App Store, is that you know really the 30% cut is too much for them to take. I mean, Apple's a very rich company. And they don't need that 30%. I mean, maybe it made sense in music. I don't know. But uh, it doesn't really work with software. So it's, that's, I mean, uh, people are complaining about FastSpring's rates, which I think were clocking at like 8%, maybe maybe 10%. And the App Store is at 30%. So, uh, so for every $10 app, uh, only $7 of that is going to the developer actually wrote the app. Apple's pocketing the rest, where... Uh, if you buy direct, like even if you're going with an expensive payment processor, your payment is pr- rate is probably going to be about you know, the developer is probably going to make about nine bucks off that sale. So that seems much more reasonable to me. And, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, 
So I wouldn't, you know, this is not a one-sided thing, that there are a bunch of reasons to, um, <clears throat> for you should maybe still buy through the Mac App Store. And <clears throat> I also went through them. Uh, and uh, I also got a couple of, uh, of uh, good examples um, from the uh, folks that have replied to my blog posting in their various bloggy ways, since I don't have comments. Uh, the first one, well, I guess I do have comments if you like read my site through the iPhone, but that's kind of accidental, and I would, I would like to turn that off somehow. By the way, um, so there's no question that the Mac App Store is really a better purchasing experience. Um, you know, the the fact that it's built in, it's it, uh, it's not something that people lose. It's tied to your Apple ID, which if it, everyone has an iTunes account, so that's basically. You can take it for granted. So you say, I want this app. Yes, here's my iTunes username and password. Okay, go. And you have, and typically has a credit card and file. So that's great. And it's also, you know, if I was a conspiratorial, uh, conspiratorial guy, I would say that Apple purposely kept, like, the Mac software installation experience that's piss poor all these years just so the App Store would look good because it's really it's inexcusable that... Uh, outside the Mac App Store, like we're still downloading disk images and then having them mount and then uh, you know dragging them to applications folder and then there's <laughs> right. like, no installer for this stuff. I mean, Windows has an installer. Windows has an installer. <laughs> Next had an installer. I mean, we're not actually leveraging receipts. I mean, they, well, let me tell you, installation technology on Mac OS X could be three shows of me thus pulling my hair out <laughs> right there. So that's yeah. we'll go too deeply into that. But the um, but definitely just um, the installation experience is so much nicer, and, um, and none of these extra files to manage just shows up in your dock. Although it very annoyingly brings up that what they call a missile command or something <laughs> that big screen of icons that I can see, keep away from my dock. <laughs> I believe that would be mission command. There we go. Mission, mission control. Wow, even I'm getting it wrong. Mission control. Mission that's control. right. Okay. Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Missile Command. I'm going to call it that from now on. That's a that's a good name for it. And uh, so that's, uh, um, and of course, I mean, you know, when you buy a new Mac, you just enter your Apple ID again, and it says, "Oh, these are all the apps we know you purchased. Go." And you can say, "Oh yeah, that app I I don't use anymore. I'm not going to install it, or I'll install this one." I think there's even like an install all button, and which is uh, maybe that I'm confused that with update all, but anyway. It's much easier than maintain your license keys and and figure out like hey I had did I yeah I had that app once like let me find that developer's website and all that. But well, I don't, don't most people I mean most people pretty much I think the consensus is you know most normal people who don't want to fiddle with their computers will buy from the app stores that Apple has whereas you know the, the kind of experience you get with these these more specific stores that were all you had before. You know, it's just people. People just aren't going to do it in in large numbers, right? Yeah, there's definitely you know when when something is Apple blessed, that's basically with normals are when you say you know oh yeah that's what what I'm going to use, and there's not even a, a look into uh, possible alternative ways to do it because I mean Apple blessed it and blast uh, blessed it, not blessed blessed it. The and you know for the customer, of course, that makes totally sense. Uh, the Apple Way is typically the, the golden path that they should go down, so I'm not going to fault the consumer for that. Right. Well, Apple makes it really easy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, 
And uh, so, but the odd thing here is that I talked about how like sandboxed apps have these uh, ha- are weakened because they're cut off from all these things that we kind of take for granted that normal Mac apps can do. Except Apple is giving us, to my knowledge, like now two APIs that only Mac App Store apps can access, and that's uh, iCloud APIs and push notifications. Yep. And I think there are more on the pipe, but I don't know if we're allowed to talk to that under NDA type stuff yet. But I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> so uh, there's probably more stuff in the pipe that only Mac App Store apps can can uh, take advantage of. And with, and of course, now that oh, with that sandbox requirement, that means only sandboxed apps. So um, the guys uh, smile on my Mac have this app called PDF Pen. I hear good things about it, I, but I try to live my life away from PDFs. But apparently, if you need to annotate them, that's apparently a very nice app to use. But um, so they have this thing where they sell PDF Pen directly and through the Mac App Store. But apparently, they want to have iCloud goodness even in their a direct version. So they sell this ninety-nine cents bridge app that allows uh, that actually acts, uh, that seems to act as a server to the iCloud version because. One of the limitations of sandboxing is that you can't send mock messages, but you can receive them. So maybe they're using mock messages. Maybe that's using a socket like uh, Growl's using nowadays. But anyway, the point is that you can receive messages and resp- resp- uh, respond to them, no problem. So these guys, well, you can have your little direct purchase PDF pen app, and then you you know launch it up, and then I don't know if it finds a bridge or you have to launch a bridge manually or whatever, but then apparently that will give you access to your iCloud. So it's kind of a backdoor route there, but Apple, the, but the app was accepted, and uh, so and it's not you know it doesn't seem to be violating anything that I can see. So I think it's probably a good way to work around this uh, issue. Well, serious with though. Do you have any doubt that Apple will eventually close it, close that loophole? I mean, even if they're not closing it now. Oh, really? You you think this is actually this something that they're not not, not really looking at right now? They haven't they haven't quite gotten around to squashing it yet. That's that's my thinking. Okay, I could totally see that, but uh, I I hope you're wrong. But I fear you're right. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and of course, um, actually, another thing that escaped that I realized I didn't mention at all, which is telling, but. Um, so I mentioned in the blog posting that, of course, these apps are vetted by Apple, and I, I don't hi, you know I don't think very highly of the app review process, but it is something, and but of course you know the entire thrust of the sandbox is better security, and I think it's actually very telling that it does not show up in my list of reasons why. Um, you know what is what is the benefit of buying from the Mac App Store? Is that yeah, these apps are sandboxed, and I guess it's just because like security on, with Mac apps has been such a non-issue that when I created my you know tried to do my fair and balanced thing and list up the other side of the argument, that actually never even entered my mind until a few hours later after I got. And actually, no, <laughs> that's the funny thing is that actually no one's even mentioned that to me, and it's something I came up with myself. Uh, later on, that I'm like, oh, I didn't even mention like the entire reason why we're doing this. I, I, I should say Apple's doing this is that it actually didn't even enter my mind. So that's that's telling right there. But I want to address a couple other things that others have mentioned. Uh, one guy mentioned that uh, sorry, I don't have the link in front of me, but uh, that one of the great things about the Mac App Store is that it gives you un- like basically uh, license normalization that you don't have to worry about. That uh, you know your copy of BB Edit 
only your license only allows you to run on one machine at a time. Well, I know that's not the case, Rich. I know let's give you an example, but it's um, with the Mac App Store, it's just like, oh yeah, you, you got an iTunes account, you can run it anywhere. So uh, that I don't know if that enables software privacy or not, but it's pretty nice that we have license normalization via the Mac App Store. Um, and then the other thing that Gruber mentioned is that um, it's he he kind of framed it as like, yeah, points I make are probably true for power users, but for typical users, then the sandboxing rules make the Mac App Store even more compelling. And the, I and um, is, that's a really interesting idea because you know if, imagine if you actually want to have you know, something like a sandbox App Store, of course, really like only Apple could supply that. Because you want to have the big model with the glowing Apple, you know that that says that they've uh, they've blessed this this mechanism, and that we've controlled this, we've locked it down, we've made this safe. So yeah, I mean if if this is going to work at all, it would have to come through the Apple channel, pretty much like it's coming down the pike right now. Right. So all in all, um, the I still think like. Um, of course, and we talk about typical users, and they're not going to even know that you can buy an app directly. I mean, uh, <laughs> I personally had an app that mentioned that you could buy an app directly via this website, and they're like, nope, we won't allow you to do a new version because you mentioned you could buy it directly. I'm like, okay. Because uh, it was a trial, it mentioned a trial, because they used to allow you to mention that there are trial versions available, but then they decided that was bad. So that yet another Apple policy change. Um, so it's, it's not just a power user thing. So the, the, the typical users are not going to be able to find these direct apps. And so that's, and that's totally right that it's, um, easier buying experience and it's not a problem. And power users, I don't know how, I guess it depends on how you define power users, but it's, um, it's more of an issue of, Power users are, are going to be able to find the stuff, and they are going to be able to buy direct. And I do think it's an advantage for them. How much is it going to trickle in to the non-typical users? I have to say, well, I don't even know what the show of what you'd call a power user is, but I have to imagine this is probably going to be on the order of, if we're lucky, 20% of people buying directly. But I'm actually kind of worried that it's enough people that it will be... Um, that the, of course the uh, developers will have to ha- maintain the buy direct channel always open, which is a uh, total total resource drain on them. You know, it's it's uh, every you know easier than ever to set up a storefront, but still it's a drain off your development, especially if you're going to have these apps that have more featured features if you buy them directly versus if you buy them to the Mac App Store. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard on the developers. It's not hard on the typical users, but and it's not. I wouldn't say it's hard on the power users. So it's just maybe that's more confusion, but that's apparently what power users can handle. So it's um. So my advice stands that I've I don't see myself buying any apps through the Mac App Store that have a a direct equivalent. But it's kind of a sucky situation. But I think it's it's actually it's, it's been clarified uh, to everyone now uh, that if you aren't if you are a power user, then you should buy direct pretty much whenever you get it, unless you have a very good reason not to, which would be, of course, like the iCloud and the other upcoming APIs type stuff. Right, and I think your post was was really nice in the sense that it 
it only dealt with that one issue. You know, what should you do as a user who knows what your options are? Mm-hmm. Not really going into, you know, what's going to happen to the entire ecosystem in the long run, um, what developers should do. It's really just that one issue. And you said, yes, yes, now this is what you should do for these reasons. And I think that was, that, that helped a lot of people with that, with that idea. Uh, because the, <clears throat> what, what's going to happen to, to developers total? Like I said, okay, the other question is, should a developer uh, uh, have maintained two different ways? And actually, one thing I thought of with that was that wouldn't it be nice if now you said, well, Apple is the one who needs to do the big store that does all these things for you. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if, if there did coalesce a, a lot of developers around an alternate store? Uh, which did charge less, but which, you know, you could say, well, now everyone who isn't going to go to the Apple store, go over here. And, you know, everyone uses it and it's trustworthy and, you know, and you get a pony. But, you know, it, it would be nice to have that because then you would have, you would get rid of that one disadvantage, which is, well, you've got to go to any number of these different stores that no one's ever heard of. If there could be one, then you would, then you could just do that. Whereas now, you know, we can all kind of get the sense of, well, okay, there's this one store over here and this other store over there. And this one guy who has his own store on his, on his blog and all of those are trustworthy. But again, you know, most users aren't going to be willing to invest the time to, to go through all of that and figure all that stuff out. Yeah. As you were saying, the idea of the, like the alternate store, it struck me as so not, you know, an Apple thing to do. So I wouldn't expect that to come along the pipe any, anytime soon. You mean Apple, it's Apple itself certainly wouldn't right. make it. But if we, as third-party developers were able to support such a store, no, it's entirely something that third-party developers do, not that Apple does. Oh, I see. I, I misunderstood. Okay, yeah, because yeah. uh, didn't we already go down that road? Because I know there was that project called Bodega that was basically a third-party app store kind of thing. Did they actually sell the apps, though, or did they just aggregate links to all of them? You know, it, it didn't take off, and I couldn't even tell you how it really worked. I know they had a nice app, but uh, yeah, it's a nice icon. Well. It's also interesting, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes. Um, there was a recent Core Intuition podcast where uh, Manton Reese and Daniel Jalkut were talking about exactly this issue. And I know, you know, because Manton Reese has taken one of his apps off of the App Store and is only selling it direct anymore. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't remember the name of it offhand, but again, it will be in the show notes. Um, and uh, was know, that Clipstarter? Clipstarter, okay. Clipstarter, uh, I think, yeah. Uh, and then Daniel Jaka, it, it was very interesting because because you know Daniel was a very nice man. Uh, he didn't uh, he he was not confrontational about it, but he just kind of kept coming back to this thing of <laughs> that um that the odds are probably against you in terms of growing your market, in terms of uh, continuing to make enough money in the long run. You know, going against this juggernaut of of Apple's store if you do go direct. And again, that's another question. As opposed to, well, should you have a store now? It's, well, should you be planning on that store being your growth market for five years from now? Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer for that either. We'll have to see how it goes. I do think that if more developers go direct, such that it, can, it, it keeps kind of a buzz going among the, the people who are the ones who recommend apps. Like basically, you know, like when we talk about how, how are we going to find apps, um, you're going to find apps like your, um, like your, your, you know, your relatives, your the people you know who are not 
uh, techies, it's a very, I know I'm saying this in a way that's very cliched, but, you know, non-techie people versus techie people, the, the non-techie people do tend to find what they're going to do or find a blessing for how to do things from their friends who know the technology. And so if we're all the ones who say, well, you know, okay, go to this one place and it's just one convenient thing to do, then they'll go do it. And the more we coalesce around that, I'm repeating myself, sorry, the more other people will still do it. And so the more chance you have of getting a growth market. Uh, but even will that be enough uh, against Apple? Don't know. So so that was certainly Daniel's uh, opinion was, you know, even if it's bad, um, you should, uh, even if it's, even if it's bad, even if you have all these compromises, you should still, <laughs> you should still um, try to make it on the store uh, as a developer. Uh, and it, it's hard to argue against it. My God, we may have to stop for a minute. Uh, um, uh, it's hard to argue against it. You um, warned people at the, at the top of the show I did, what the show is about. So they, if they didn't like it, they could turn it off right that moment. So listeners of the show, this is your fault. Your fault. It truly is. Well, and you know, I'm muted for all the times that you were talking. You should hear some of the things that you didn't hear because of, because I was muted. All right, so I want to let you talk again then. Okay. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the the uh, kind of the tech the tech relative that will give you an idea of of what's going on and what you you know basically you know you get together at Thanksgiving and the or other I'm sorry international listeners insert your version of Thanksgiving here if you have one. Um. But there's our top. There's our title. <laughs> it's so xenophobic. Um, so, with you could argue that a large part of the success of the apps of the the I'm talking about the physical Apple stores is that the 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 need for the technical relatives has been alleviated. That finally there is this, the glowing monolith that will t- give you the correct computer advice, and you go there. And uh, I have a. Uh, a friend who uh, says he, you know, between where he lives and where his mother lives, is, they put an Apple store, and he tells her that, you know, if you're coming to see me about computer questions, you know, first you stop at the Apple store uh, on your way right. to me, and uh, if they don't solve it, then you can keep driving to me. <laughs> and uh, very much that uh, the the Genius Bar and the like has has. Um, it has replaced, and this also you could argue the same thing with like the the IT managers that you know Apple has basically come this force of you know giving advice directly to the consumers directly. And I'm sorry, I'm using the word consumers again. I really hate the word consumers. I try to use the word customers. So, but anyway, uh, give advice to the c- customers directly. And so, of course, they're going to say, and they're <laughs> you know these are Apple store employees. They're not going to mention, oh yeah, there's this Bodega app or what have you that where this is, yeah, yeah, you really should be buying directly because that's against the Apple party line. And even if it's true, I don't know if they're going to be telling people about it. Right, right. They wouldn't. They certainly wouldn't hear it from any of the Apple channels. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it was. What this also comes down to is that this so much of this could have been avoided with thus the entitle, entitlement um, that we're so entitlement poor that um, what would be you know you have these apps that have been shipping for years and like an app like say Fast Scripts right and so they're locking down the ability to set Apple events or mock messages 
And what would have what you know they they seemed totally against this idea of okay we we'll, we we'll also have a temporary entitlement for this, or you know guess what this is a developer who's had an app in your store for years maybe it's not temporary maybe this is an app that's allowed to exist from now on and you don't have to have this sword above your throat that's swinging around and might eventually cut your head off but it's you know the, the why does this so why are these entitlements so uh, locked down and they don't cover what apps do today? And to me, that's the biggest question. It's like this issue, when I go through the list of things that what non-sandbox apps can do versus what sandbox apps can do, uh, this is comes down to an issue of entitlements that, that could have been totally solved with a simple policy change. And that's what I was basically expecting for the, the couple of times that they kicked the sandbox requirements down the road, that we were, we were going to see more entitlements or we're going to see a slightly different change of direction. Instead, we just got to double down. Yeah, the, certainly the entitlements technology did imply that there would be a, a use for them, that they would yeah, that they would somehow let uh, users say, well, yes, I trust this app to do these things. I trust this app to do these other things. But it really seems that, well, the technology could have allowed that they decided not to go in that direction. They just said, well, you know, we're really just not going to trust any apps. We're really going to try to, you know, it really does seem, hey, we're really going to try to kill the apps that do too much mm-hmm. because we just aren't going to trust any of them. That seems to be the direction they were going in. And the the shape of the technology didn't, since it didn't need to go in that direction, maybe, you know, maybe kind of developers were a little fooled by it. But I have to say that you know, I totally understand the – you don't want the uh, – it's past Windows XP. What is it? The Windows Vista kind of access control mechanism or also the Android thing uh, in the Android stores where it's like saying this app will want to access your – access Twitter.com or wants arbitrary network access. I mean that's totally – that's the type of geek speak that you don't want to be exposing to the typical user. And Absolutely. So, yeah, I totally understand why like, you don't want you know these panels coming up and saying, "Do you want to give this uh, Apple uh, give this app permission to do blah?" And because uh, you know, number one, that's information that the user typically doesn't even understand the question, and number two, they'll just hit the yes button until they get to the dancing bunnies. Yeah, no, it's it's a very hard problem, uh, and that's the thing that I keep getting is, you know, most and this is what happened with the iOS stores. You know, people people did complain about iOS being so locked down, but you know, the counter argument was, well, this is what this is what we need. This is what a really consumer friendly platform needs, and if so, so where do you go from there? How do you you know you can't you really can't make both of these worlds work. You do need to pick one or the other. And I think Apple's been very good about taking a harder line than making the hard decisions that other people wouldn't necessarily make. Because, you know, again, like Android, they didn't make those hard decisions. Um, With Windows, Vista, right, they made the decisions in the different direction with the the alerts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody complained about that. Just didn't work either. So, hey, what's left? Cutting it all off. Yeah, for me, it's really the the question of the like the lack of entitlements for existing apps. I think right now, right, you might say, well, okay, for you know, for this range of customers, like, well, what, what's the thing that they did with the with the apps where they're not in the app store, but they're somehow you're registered as a developer, right? A developer identity, and that's gatekeeper in ten point eight. 
gatekeeper, right? So the idea being that there's there's kind of a way that most people will never use, but that you as a power user can figure out and and get around it or do something about it. You know, there were a lot of people who were suggesting when all of this stuff started to get going that you know, give me an out, give me a checkbox I can check somewhere in my preferences, so that you know where most of the time, whereas you know other people will be totally locked down. But me, I, you can trust me or I can trust myself. Let me do this other stuff that I want to do without meaning to give up on all the other benefits of the platform. And I think that's what people were, were hoping for when Apple was making some noises about, you know, maybe changing things a bit is that, you know, okay, I can still buy BBA uncrippled from the app store, but I've got to go to this obscure place to do it. And so far Apple has not, not made any noises that they're going to go that route, even though, you know, that would make, it, it would make this harder for them, but it would also make for a lot more satisfied, you know, power or techie customers who want that, who want all of the benefits of the app store without, um, without the constrictions. But it just, you know, they're just not going that, that direction. So we've got to live with what we got. And so, you know, you're making another hard decision. You're saying, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep supporting direct developers and, and, you know, set up the call, set up the, you know, the, the, the march, the, the, <laughs> that, that we should, you know, we should go down this route. And we've seen a couple of areas, you know, a gatekeeper was one example where Apple did change. And I wonder, you know, could we start a revolt of the nerds, you know, doubtful, but you know, all revolts seem a little doubtful when you start. Yeah, I have uh, pr- pretty little hope of changing Apple's mind. Um, <laughs> that's because, you know, the Mac is not uh, – Macintosh is a huge business, but, you know, compared to the other businesses, you know, I, they, I get the feeling that they're – that they wouldn't care if uh, – unless, you know, sales really started to plummet. Uh, maybe then they'd be willing to do a policy change. But, you know, the sales are just going to keep on because we're still buying Macs to run our software, even if we're buying the software direct. Yep. So I don't see that as being a effective uh, policy change. I don't see them budging from this, especially the way that the. I mean, it was very much a stumbling type thing, but I, but sandbox is here, and obviously they're moving forward with it, and I think that's this is the way things are going to go. So uh, if they have a bunch of sales going direct, I don't think Apple cares. In fact, they seem to have rolled out the red carpet with that with uh, with Gatekeeper in ten eight. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and maybe that's that's the way they roll. And I mean, it is. I mean, it is also kind of uncharacteristically open of Apple to right. give us the the option, and it's even and even the default is to allow developer ID signed apps mm-hmm. uh, have you know it would be treated as first class citizens, and you don't get these scary little panels that this might harm your Macintosh. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I think Apple's has spoken with their actions here that you have the App Store. It's now sandboxed. There's going to be a certain caliber of app that's in there, and if you want, if you're a power user, guess what? You're not, you know, your your app isn't welcome here. Yep. yep. Okay. Well, I think I think uh, that British covers it. Would you Would you agree? I agree. Okay. Uh, great. So so that's it for this the uh, this third episode of edge cases. If you would like to uh, see the show notes for this episode or contact us or anything else, go to our website, edgecases.com. And so, uh, so thanks for listening. And uh, if, if you made it this far, well, I was going to make a joke at the end about if you made it this far, it wasn't really about cats, 
But, you know, it kind of was about cats. So I can't even make that joke. So we'll see what happens next time. So, good. See you all next time. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.